I would like to welcome you back from your Easter breaks with a question. And the question is at once the easiest question you will ever be asked, which is good. And at the same time, probably the most difficult question you'll ever be asked. And the question uh, is this, who are you? Imagine you ask that question at a, a party or a, a job interview or even you had a form to fill in that had words to that effect on. Surely without hesitation, you'd be able to answer it with one or at most two words, wouldn't you? Who are you? It's pretty straightforward. But if you were pushed slightly further, the question becomes a whole different question. It becomes incredibly difficult and it becomes one of the deepest questions we could be asked. I mean, for some of us, we might still answer just off the cuff. We might not think about our answer. We might not have reflected on it if we were asked who we are. We might just give it without any other questions at all. Hi, my name's Tony. Uh, I'm a lawyer, for example. Or hello, my name's Karen. I'm a student. That, that's how you might describe yourself beyond your name, I suppose. But questions of identity uh, are far deeper than that. And some of us may, when we think about who we are and our identity, it, it might be, a, we might want to respond negatively. We might want to uh, try to assert who we are in the face of people's misunderstandings of us. Maybe as we'd want to say, look, I'm not just a, a mother or I'm not just a teenager. I'm, I'm not just an accountant. You might, might go down that sort of line. For others, you might want to assert it more forcefully, but still in line with others' expectations and there might be elements of your identity that you think, well, this is who I am. I think this is really important, but other people might undervalue this. So you might say something like, well, I'm, I'm African, or I'm gay, or I'm a woman. Because you feel those things are things people might undervalue, and you're proud of those things. And recently, I'd say these kind of labels and this kind of question, a question of identity, has taken on a whole new significance in our culture. Because our culture, as I'm sure you're aware, has been very, very good at getting rid of everything that is sacred. It seems to be the thing that our culture likes doing most. Uh, we, we, we like to just uh, mock people's traditions. We can mock their parents, their jobs. We can laugh at the gods they worship. However, at some point, our culture still bashes into the fact that we need some things to be sacred. And on this question, we found one. Because one of the most sacred things in Western culture at the moment is our identity. You cannot criticize somebody's identity. You can't speak against who somebody is. And also for us as Christians, uh, which I know will be the majority of people here, as the cultural conversation rumbles on around the question, who are you, about our identity, it hits us in different ways because we are tempted as well to be pulled into the whole identity politics thing uh, ourselves. So I'll, th I'll throw a, a controversial example of you <laughs> at you without giving my opinion on it, uh, which is always a good way to do these sort of things. Uh, hands up if you saw the furore about the uh, Australian rugby player Israel Folau recently. Does that name mean anything to you? Okay. Some of you would. Uh, Israel Folau made some comments uh, on social media uh, that has lost him his job and his whole career uh, as a Christian man, uh, basically summarising passages from the Bible that, that singled out uh, gay people uh, as, 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 as sinners, really, that was essentially with, with a bit more detail uh, than that, I suppose. And one of the responses from Christians to that was, wait a minute, we can play this game too. Here's our identity. You're saying he's challenged other people's identity. What about our identity as Christians? We're, a, we're victims. We're a marginalized community. And so we then play the identity card and the identity politics card ourselves, and we enter the whole identity politics discussion. There's a temptation on us to do exactly the same as everyone else is doing around us, okay? 
So that is what we're talking about today. That's what we're in that world. We're in that realm. And because of all of that stuff, the question of identity, and that's what I'm talking about today, is a hugely important issue on its own. And I want to look at it today in its own merit. But as I do that, I also would like to introduce a new, as Owen has let the cat out of the bag on this one, our new series uh, for this term, I think it's seven sermons or or so, um, which is actually on something a bit broader uh, than identity. We're going to be spending uh, this term uh, looking at issues surrounding really, I guess to to bottle it, it would be relationships really. It's to do with family and to do with sex and to do with marriage and uh, to do with friendship and that sort of thing. And um, what we're going to do is we're going to go, we're going to start looking at those sort of things and look at the blueprint God has given us for those things. We're relational people as human beings, as we all know, and it's really important we we think clearly about those things. And so to look at the blueprint, we're going to go back to, right, see how our memories are. What was our last series on? Hmm. Any Any takers? Daniel, there was one mini one we just did over Easter, which is good, but Owen's got it. He's on the ball, as you'd expect, Daniel. Can anyone remember before that? I think someone said it. Genesis, brilliant. In fact, we didn't even bother with the whole lot. We didn't do Joseph and Abraham and all them. We just restrict ourselves to three chapters of Genesis, and it took us an entire term, okay? Well, if you thought, phew, <laughs> no, we don't want to milk that one anymore. Well, unlucky on that regard, because we're kind of doing a bit of a follow-up, and we're uh, bouncing off some of the issues that came up in Genesis uh, 1 to 3 that we didn't have time to really address there, but I kind of touched on in those chapters We want to spend a little bit of time on those, particularly those relating to kind of family uh, and to relationships and those sort of things. And therefore, that's what we're going to be doing this term. And to start things off, um, I want to do it by looking at the foundational issue of identity, which, as we're going to see, kind of lies at the root of these things. It's really to prepare us to look at these things and to think Christianly, think biblically about some of the biggest issues in our society at the moment. That is the plan. I'm just scouting around to see what you think of the plan. I can't really gauge anything, but it's the plan, so let's go with the plan. Okay, now I, I wanna, what I'm going to do today is I want to sketch out essentially a Christian view of identity. And it will be a sketch because there's more here than you can fit into 35 minutes. Okay, um, and what makes the job slightly more difficult than it could be otherwise is that should be a simple thing. I can tell you this is what the Christian view of identity is. When we look at what the Bible says about identity, we are left with not one, not two, but three different identities that we have to consider. Okay? We have to consider, if we put them into questions, we consider these three questions. Who did God make us to be originally, the beginning? Who are we born to be today? When we wake up in the world today, who are we? And who can we be through Jesus? Those are our three questions. Who did God make us to be originally? Who we are, are we born to be today? And who can we be through Jesus? So I'm going to just simply hit each of these one at a time and go through them and see what the Bible has to say. Okay, so who did God make us to be originally? Okay, back to a passage that if you were around with us for Christmas, you will have heard many times. Genesis 1, 26 to 28. If you have a Bible, please feel free to turn to it. I'm going to leave this up for the majority of the first point. Uh, it will be on the screen behind me. Here we go. I'll read it to you. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, and all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, 
and all the animals that scurry along the ground. So who are we? Who are we made to be by God in the first place? We have an answer here straight away. It's given to us. We were made as in the image of God. So God created human beings in his own image. We are God's image bearers. But what does that mean? And how does it affect how we see ourselves? Well, I think there's four things that we can skittle through, some of which we touched on before Christmas, but we could just to recap of what it means. What does it mean to be made in God's image? Well, first thing is the most simple of all, but I wonder if it is the key thing we've got to reflect on when we think about identity, particularly in light of how others around us would often see identity. And it's just simply this. We were created. Let's not go any further than that for a moment. We were created now, there are going to be many differences as we go through between the Bible's view of identity and our culture's view of identity, but I think this is the one that strikes most against the wisdom of our age. The Bible tells us that human beings are creatures. And by that, I don't mean we're animals, although we would share traits with other animals, at least mammals. No, what it means is that we were created. We were created on purpose. It was a deliberate act. It wasn't an an afterthought or an accident. No, we were created on purpose by our creator, God. It's the basic thing of Christianity, the basic thing of believing in God as a creator, isn't it? But actually, it's very, very important because this means that any discussion about identity from a Christian perspective does not start with me. It doesn't start with how I feel or what I think. It starts with God and his purposes and intentions for me. It's not, I don't think that's an extreme view. I think that's just a, a logical result of believing in a God that made us. My identity, according to the Bible, is something that is decided outside of my control. I don't give permission to my identity. It was given to me in that regard. Passage, it works in two ways. It's underlined in, in two different uh, regards here. First of all, you've got God saying this mysterious thing. Let us make human beings, he says. Now, now, I'm not going to touch on the mysterious us in this passage, but all I'll say is this. It gives this idea of God kind of thinking us up. Like the name of this series is Blueprint. Coming up with the blueprint for human beings. God, God devised us. He thought about how we'd work. He thought about how we, we'd fit together. So he has the idea of, God, uh, of humans, and that comes from God. And then, of course, in verse 27, he created human beings. It's not just the idea, but the execution also comes from him. Genesis 2 talks about how God, uh, very, very mysteriously, and people would take this in very different ways, uh, but how he, he, he created us from the dust. He sculpted us from the dust, or he, he breathed his life into us. But however you take those things, it's very clear. The idea of us comes from God, but according to the Bible, the execution also comes from God. He made us. He crafted us. And the most basic biblical teaching on identity, then, is this. And if this is all you get from today, I think... This would be enough to get you in a lot of trouble if you wanted to say this loudly in different places. But it's this. We are not self-made men and women. We are not the captain of our ships. We do not define ourselves. No, we're creatures who are created by a personal God to be who he made us to be. And that's the first thing uh, we see in the Bible's teaching on identity. But who did he make us to be? As we said, he made us to be in his image. Now, what does that mean? Well, again plugging our website. Uh, on the media part of the website, you've got all the services from Before Christmas. Jonathan dealt with this in much more detail than I'm going to do today. But I could, I'm going to reduce it to two things. I think when we think about the image of God, two things uh, are uh, the, the, that I want to bring to our attention today. And the first would be that to be made in God's image means we're cr- we were created in the family likeness. 
We were created in the family likeness. And uh, if we just flip a few pages forward, and you've got a Bible, if you go to Genesis 5, again, I'll, I'll flush it up on the screen in a second, we can see how this link is made, because the author of Genesis helps us here. Okay, so in Genesis 1, you've got this really mysterious idea. We were made in God's image, and people for years have thought, hmm, what could that be? And those with fulsome beards like myself have stroked them, and others have wished they've had fulsome beards. Those are the two parts of humanity as far as I see. Um, but, this is, but that idea, it made in God's image, is something that's made people think quite deeply over the years. But the author of Genesis knows this, and a few chapters later gives us a very practical image to help us start to understand this. Okay, Genesis 5, 1 to 3. This is after uh, Adam and Eve, this is after Cain and Abel, and this is where it gets to kind of, it's about to go into a long list. Okay, this is what the author says. This is the written account of the descendants of Adam, the first man. When God created human beings, he made them to be like himself. He created them male and female, and he blessed them and called them human. Just a recap of Genesis 1. But then look what he says. When Adam was 130 years old, he became the father of a son who was just like him in his very image. He named him Seth. Can you see what's, what's happening here? The author's giving us a hint. People are going, you've got to Genesis 1, you're thinking, hmm, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? And he says, look, I'll help you a bit. It's a bit like when children are made in the image of their parents. That's what it's a bit like. It's not everything there is to say on it, but is it a bit like it? Who are we created to be? We were created in the family likeness. Now, what exact traits this is, uh, is, is a question to discuss uh, further. Do we have God's nose? I mean, do we have his eyes? Like the, uh, is it our consciousness? Is it other things? That's, I don't want to touch on that today. And again, that's uh, out of our remit in that sort of sense. But the least we can say is this, I suppose. If we were made in the image and likeness of God and we want to find out who we are, it would probably make sense, as a first port of call, to find out who God is, wouldn't it? That makes sense. Not to look inside and to self-reflect, but to look at who God is. John Calvin, the great Bible teacher, said this, and I think it's fair. Without knowledge of God, there is no knowledge of self. Without knowledge of God, there is no knowledge of self. And again, that follows from being made in the family likeness. So firstly, we saw we were created. Secondly, we were created in the family likeness. But to be made in God's image also is about purpose as well. Thirdly, we were created with a purpose. I don't know for you guys whether you've had your who am I moment in your life yet. I don't know, some of us, we never get over it, but um, it, it comes in, <laughs> in kind of bits, doesn't it? For me, it was my early 20s. I don't know if anyone else can identify with that. Some of you still want to wait for your early 20s. Who, who, come on, who's past it? Who would say early 20s for who am I moments? Yeah. Anyone later than that? Anyone 30s? Yeah, okay. That's good. Anyone late 40s or anything for those things? Yeah, okay, I'm still there. Maybe it's just going to come back. Maybe it's more of a curve like that. Um, I remember asking this question a lot in my early 20s, and reflecting on it now, I know what I was asking, and it was actually a very specific question. I was asking really what my purpose was. That's what I meant. I was saying, who am I? But I was really saying, what's my purpose? What am I uniquely called to do here on planet Earth? That was really what I was saying. And although who we are is more than what we do, it certainly isn't less than what we do. And it definitely includes what we do and how we should uh, live our lives. And when we look at Genesis 1, we see that in our very identity, we are, made, we, we are not just made to resemble God, we are made to act like God. There is purpose given here. Now, 
If you were here before Christmas, you'll know that my favorite part of the series was I did a little drama with some buckets and stuff. I think Becca was involved, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, all to do with, with certain things. Now, I'm going to not, I don't have a drama today, but I'm going to just recap very briefly where we were in the drama, mainly because I enjoyed it for nostalgia purposes for myself. Okay, but for everyone else, I think I can uh, pick you up because this is what this was, that whole thing was all about. Um, because what we see in Genesis 1 <coughs> is essentially God comes to a world that has two problems. It's formless and it's empty. It has no form and it has no life. It's formless and it's empty. And what God does is he comes to the world at the beginning of the Bible, at the beginning of time, and he forms it where it's formless. He brings order where it's formless and he fills it where it's empty. He fills and he forms it. And we see it in the six days. And I remember them all along here. What part were you, Becca? I remember you having a you were chaos at one point because you were like this. Woo! I just remember those things. But anyway, um, the six days went well like this. On the first day, God orders. He separates the light from the darkness. He orders. He separates. The second day, he orders again. He separates the water above the sky from the water below the sea. Third day, he orders again. He orders and he separates out the land from the sea. It's an ordering. He's, he's forming what's formless. And then on the fourth and fifth and sixth day, he then fills what he's then ordered. So on the fourth day, he puts the sun and the moon in the light and the darkness, what he'd done on the first day. And on the fifth day, he comes to what he's ordered on the second day, the sky and the sea, and he puts, fills the sky with birds and the sea with fish. And then on the sixth day, as, as on the third, he ordered the land, he, he separated the land from the sea. On the sixth day, he fills the land itself with wild animals and with human beings as well. Do you remember that stuff? I, I love it. I'm just going to, just nostalgia value. Just go with me on it. I loved it. It was good. I've still got the little buckets at home. I stare at them every morning. Um, but what he does in the sixth day is slightly different. It's because as he makes these people, he then kind of delegates the job. As he's been filling and forming the whole way, he then says, right, you guys, you know what? I'm not just going to make you and just look at you. I'm going to make you and help give you a job to do. You have a purpose. You've got my purpose. You can fill and form too. Look what it says here in, in verse 28 here. He makes humans and he says to them, be free, fruitful and multiply. It's quite a famous bit. We all know that bit. But look what it says after. Fill the earth and govern it. What are we doing? We're to fill and to form. Being made in the image of God is not just to look like him. It's to do the thing that God does. Do the things that God does. We have a purpose to bring life and order to the chaos ordering what's disordered and formless, filling the areas that once were too chaotic to produce life, actually filling them with life itself. Now, again, on that very quick whistle-stop tour of, uh, of that part of uh, Genesis, uh, we could expand on that. We could look more at what that involves for us as people. Uh, generally, what that involves for us as individuals. How do we live out that purpose individually? But again, all I need to say now is that it's important that when we think of identity in the conversation, we think, well, who am I? We must also think about our purpose. Identity and purpose go together, okay? As we ask who we were made to be, we must also ask what we were made to do. That's how the Bible frames identity. I think that's how most of us would frame it too. The Bible, of course, gives us an answer to both those questions. God is the source of our identity in terms of who we're like and also why we're alive. So God created us. This is the original plan. He created us in the family likeness. He created us with a purpose. But fourthly and finally, um, we were also created in, and I'd probably say four as well, in and for community. 
Because we can't escape the fact here that there's a communal aspect to this. As we come on to in a bit, most identity discussions now are in terms of I. This is very much in terms of a plural here, verse, 20, uh, verse 27. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. But most importantly, this bit, male and female, he created them. Now, ignore the specifics just for a moment or two. Let's just zoom out on this and see what this is saying generally. What this tells us is that my identity is not purely a personal matter, just about me to be considered in isolation from everybody else. As human beings, we're to live out who we are with other people and with the help of other people and with other people who even are different from us, like men and women are different from each other. I guess this is kind of why we're doing this whole series, thinking about relationships, because uh, relationships are important to us because even in our identity itself, there is a communal aspect. To be in the image of God is not essentially just me thinking, how do I be in the image of God? No, it's male and female. In community, uh, he created them. We must ask who we are as much as who I am if we're taking a biblical view of identity. So that's zooming out, but I can't escape the fact that we do need to zoom in a little bit on this and talk about the two specifics that are given here, which are male and female. And the minute I do that, and I'm talking about identity, I realize that we crash head-on into the most controversial uh, part of the cultural conversation on anything really at the moment, but particularly in the uh, whole topic of who we are. The minute I say that, I'm sure loads of questions and ideas are flooding into your mind. I mean, what does it mean to be male, though? What does it mean to be female? Are those the only two options? Do those labels depend on our biology? Are those identities stable or do they change? Are they fluid, changing over time? Well, I've got lots of opinions on those things, but I am not going to bore you with any of them. I am going to fob that job off on someone who knows a lot more than me. (laughs) And so uh, in about two minutes, we'll move on to the next point, except to say this. If you would like to explore that in more detail, because simply being in all seriousness, it deserves far more detail than I can give it, both through my skill set, my expertise base, and the time given to me. (laughs) Um, I, I would invite you to come to Central House, Church Central Office, on Wednesday night, where we've got um, a special guest uh, come to speak to us on this. I'm sure, I'm sure this is on the radar of many of you guys. Uh, there he is, the uh, handsome devil that he is, David Shaw, who I'm imagining uh, some of you may have read some of his books, but he would be new to many of us. David Shaw is, uh, has a level of expertise in the whole area of transgender, uh, both in terms of the uh, cultural conversation about that, but also on biblical teaching that relates to that topic as well. Uh, and he's going to come and speak to us, uh, giving a lengthy time for Q&A. Half the evening will be him talking, unwrapping a few things, and half will just be over to us, look, just peppering him with as many questions uh, as we can. And, and part of that will be to get to grips with what the Bible says about this. Uh, part of it will be helping us to be able to articulate that uh, as well in, in a world where the biblical view uh, probably is not that fashionable. But also, a very major part of it will be for those of us here who, for whom this is a personal issue. It's not going to be a case of, hey, this is what we think, and yeah, let's cheer, and blah, like that. No, it's, he's very good at pastorally dealing with, with this in a sense that 
uh, for all of us, as we're going to come to in a short while, we are all broken in our identities. We all, there is all differences between how we feel and who we are and all of those things. And if in the area of gender that is something that you're dealing with, it would be really helpful uh, to come and think through. We're going to be thinking that through that in a personal way as well. And I, may, I know uh, that might be personal for some of you as a live issue for yourself. For many more of us, probably, this would be personal for us as regards friends or workmates or family members for whom this is a personal issue. So, Wednesday night, if you'd like to know more about the male and female thing <laughs> and how that relates to identity, I'd invite you to go there. Oh, one, one last thing to say on that, actually, is it does say there, reserve your space on Apple website. It's not like we've got a ticket system, but we do have an office with a certain number of seats. So uh, it would really help us if we knew how many people were coming. If you don't know exactly how to do that, please just contact us in the office. If the worst comes to worst, just turn up, but you may not have anywhere to sit uh, in that case. Okay, we prefer that not to happen. So therefore... What was the question we were looking at? It was, well, who did God create us to be originally? And uh, four things we see in Genesis 1, 26 to 28. We were created. We were created in the family likeness. We, we were created with a purpose. And we were created in community. Simple, easy. However, you fast forward 2,000 years uh, well, not 2,000, thousands of years forward, and things, the landscape has shifted slightly. Things are different. So let's ask this question then. Who are we born to be today? Who are we born to be today? Now, as I said a few minutes ago, I'm looking at Christian views of identity today, but right now it is worth just pausing, I think, and reflecting on our culture's view of identity that's held at the moment, that I've touched on. But let's, let's lay it out clearly to us, because our culture would have a very different view of identity to the one I've laid out so far. Now, while I, as I'm going to say, I'm not a fan of our culture view on identity, it has one thing going for it, and that is it's incredibly straightforward. It's not going to take me ages to explain all the ins and outs of this because it all boils down to one thing. Who am I? Well, it all boils down to this, me. It all boils down to the individual. So basically, it could be summed up in this way. I decide who I am. If you wanted to question me on that, say, well, okay, then, well, how do you find out who you are? I'd say, well, again, it comes down to me. It's to do with my feelings. I, I feel a certain way, and that's how I find out who I am. If I was being particularly obtuse and was to say, yes, but how do you know that you've got it right with your feelings? I would answer, well, that's up to me to know. Thank you very much. And I certainly hope you're not questioning my conclusion because this is my territory. It all boils down to me. As I said, it, it's very straightforward, it's very easy to understand, and I'm sure that most of us would be aware of that's how the conversation goes. It's also incredibly novel. I think it would be fair to say that our culture is the first culture, as Western uh, 21st century uh, civilization, is the first culture that has ever answered identity questions in this way. Traditional societies um, have usually answered it in the opposite way. They, they've said, how do we find out who we are? We look outside of ourselves. That's how we find out the answer to that question. So uh, how our identities for traditional cultures, and this is how things have been done in different places and different times uh, across, the, across humanity, our identities would be decided and defined and validated by lots of things. Traditions, uh, com the community, uh, some sort of sacred order, uh, or even just God. But they're all outside ourselves. Do you see? That's, that's how the question is generally answered. But not, not in 21st century Western culture. 
Whereas most human beings have looked out of themselves to find who they are, we are encouraged to do the opposite. We look inside. We search our feelings. We trust our instincts. And we actively resist anything anyone else may say on the matter. Now, if you've been kind of with me up to now, you'll see straight away that's a very, very different view from what the Bible says. However, in a sense, it has a certain Christianness to it because it's exactly what you would expect to happen according to what the Bible says about identity. And to see what I mean, we just have to push slightly forward in the story from Genesis 1 and remember what happens next in the story. And I think you'll, you'll see where I'm going with this. Because the story doesn't finish with God making humans and giving them this great commission and making them in God's image. As we go forward to Genesis 3, we find something out about people. And we could find out from Genesis 3, or we could find it out by knowing ourselves, and it is that we don't want God to tell us what to do. We don't want him to tell us how to live, and we don't really want him as well telling us who we are. And so in Genesis 3, you, you get the story of how that, that happened the first time. You, I'm sure you're aware it involves Adam, it involves Eve, there's a snake, a couple of trees, uh, some fruit. I think most of you would be able to fill in the pieces. But essentially, human beings rebel against God. We, we decide we don't want God telling us what to do or how to live or who we are. And we say, well, we want to do it ourselves, thank you very much. And like I said, all of us have done that in our lives at different times as well. And a result of that, according to the Bible, that action, collectively and individually that we do as humans, has serious consequences. Because of that, everything goes wrong. And as we reject God's authority over us, all of the elements of who we were created to be are broken in different ways. All the elements of identity that I've already talked about. Most importantly, we're, we're cut off from God as a result of what the Bible calls our sin. And God obviously is the source of our identity. He's the source of our purpose. Also, we're alienated from other people. We see that in the story of Adam and Eve. They start blaming each other. And we see it through history. We see it in our lives. The people we were made to work with and even in identity work out who we are with them, suddenly we're at each other's throats. And also, the thing we feel most, I guess, for most of us is we're also internally broken as a result of sin. So when we consider our, motion, our emotions and our reason, and even actually, for many of us, our own physical bodies, now, those things don't naturally line up with God's design for us. Everything's confused, everything's out of shape, and according to the Bible, it's all as a result of us turning the back on our back on the one who's the source of our identity. But in simple terms, in the terms of the image of God, if we were made to be like mirrors that reflect God, it's like those mirrors have now been shattered. It's like someone's taken a hammer to them. And yeah, you might get the odd fragment that still sh reflects a little, but it's a very distorted image. And so while these modern views on identity are not Christian views, in a sense, they're exactly what we would expect them to be as Christians. Because the Bible explains exactly why we've got to where we've got to today. I think in many ways, hats off to the honesty of our culture, because our culture gives us a very honest picture of what it looks like to live with the effects of our rejection of God. The thing it's not honest about is how terrible that is. They put a lot of spin on it, but actually they don't tell you that that is an awful, lonely place to be. You see, this is how the, the conversation goes at the moment in 
in whatever uh, outlet, media, entertainment outlet you'd get it from, okay? The idea is that, that we, in our culture, we, we've made it. We, we've got the final answer to the identity question that's been asked for years. We've, we've climbed the mountain and we're now at the top. Humans for millennia, our culture would tell us, have been approaching the question of who we are and exploring all these outdated ideas. Ideas like God and community and tradition. But now, of course, for us enlightened 21st century Westerners, we have evolved past those childish methods to realize the answer of all answers. It's all about me. Why didn't we think of this before? It's genius. It's the best answer that could ever be given. It's the pure evolution of mankind. Who, am I, who I am is purely my decision. And therefore, the solution is presented very, very firmly to us. As this is wisdom. Not just this is wisdom, but this is freedom. But nothing could be further from the truth. Because our culture's answer to our identity questions is no answer at all. If I ask someone, who am I? And you answer me, you decide. All you're doing is avoiding the question. The very fact that I'm asking the question in the first place shows that I would like help finding out the answer. It shows that I don't think I've got it in me to be able to come to the right conclusion. To ask the question itself is to admit that I cannot solve this one on my own. And let's face it, we are still asking this question as a culture, maybe even more than ever. But now, our popular culture and our social media feeds and our entertainment and even our politicians would tell us, you want to know who you are? Can't help you. Sorry, it, it's all on you. I think that's desperate. I think it's lonely and I think it's hopeless. And actually, whether we're very fond of the modern views of identity or not, for all of us, that is quite an honest diagnosis of who we all find ourselves to be when we're born into this fallen world. We've cut ourselves off from the source of our identity, and so we are essentially left to work it out by ourselves. But please don't fall for the trick that that's a good thing, because it's the opposite. It's lonely, it's awful, and it's incredibly fragile. Fortunately, though, you'll be glad to hear, it doesn't stop there. Because there is a third and final kind of identity we see in the Bible. And I just want to close with this. We've looked at who we were originally made to be. We looked at who we are born to be today. Finding very quickly who we can be through Jesus. Because the message of Christianity, and it's a message we've been reveling in over Easter, amidst all the eggs and all the other things, lots of chocolate, uh, we've still probably got indigestion from, uh, is that Jesus Christ came to rescue us from our sin and the consequences that, that, that our sin causes. And uh, sometimes we can praise him for that stuff, but still kind of praise him for a kind of surface salvation, a salvation of, well, he's helped us with some of the things that we've done bad, and maybe we can do a few things differently in the future. But actually, Jesus' salvation isn't just giving us a new way to live. Jesus gives us a, a, an entirely new identity. That's why he says in John 3, where a guy comes to him and says, what are you really about, Jesus? And he says, you know what? You want to come to me? You've got to be born again. Hey, What does that mean? Yeah, you, you've got to be a new person. I come to give you more than just a new set of things to do. I want to give you a new identity. Paul, one of Jesus' early followers, in a letter to the Corinthian church, he says this, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. It's a new person. In a sense, I guess, by, by new person or new life, he could have been talking about an old, old life. He said, the old is gone, 
well, an old, old one is coming back because really what Jesus was saying was that he came to bring us the chance to be who we were originally made to be again. Now, this isn't always simple. This isn't just the same as, it doesn't mean we can just go straight back to Genesis 1. This is a different thing because we still live in our broken world and we still deal with our bad decisions and we still look inside at misaligned and corrupted impulses and instincts and desires and thinking and even broken bodies. And so it's not always easy to live out who God made us to be, even though even though we accept what Jesus has done for us. And I could, I suppose, talk about a fourth identity of who will be in the future when Jesus will redeem us. He will restore us for our true adoption of sons as a redemption of our bodies. But right now, there is hope for us. Because through Jesus, even though the world is still broken, Jesus is the one who lived as the perfect image of God. We can now be reconnected to our creator from, through him. And that's the key thing. The, the, the thing is, God gave us our purpose. It's like we were plugged in to our purpose and to our identity. And the thing that sin does worse is it unplugs us. And there's no wonder. Well, who am I? I've got to decide. Where am I? Now, Jesus plugs us back in. As he does so, we, we can expect in our lives now, we can expect to start to see some of our brokenness and misalignment healed in how we experience ourselves. We can expect that. And we can be brought back together into genuine community. Let's take a little look around you. Please, please do that. Look behind. Yeah. Genuine community. This is what the church is. This is the, the gift of God to us. It helps us in working out who we are. In short, we can start to walk in our original God-given identity again to reflect his image deliberately and powerfully to the world around us. So to finish, I, I want to plead with you. I, I sense, there's a sense of urgency that I feel on this stuff because of the way this is, the voices that are coming to us here and I, I can't put this too hard in a sense because there's not many other people saying this. There's lots of people saying opposite things, but there's not many people saying this. I want to plead with you. Please don't give in to the hopelessness and despair of our culture. Don't be tricked that that's where freedom lies because there's nothing there. They're not giving us a new idea. They're admitting we have no ideas left. Turn away from self-sufficiency and self-determination. I'm sure most of you, however much you've thought about this, whatever issues you're going through in your lives have worked this one out yourselves, even if you're trying to squidge it, but you cannot bear the weight of your identity and your purpose. You can't do it. But the good news of Christianity is there's one who can. As we think over in this series about difficult issues, issues relating to sex and sexuality, Issues relating to marriage and singleness and divorce and gender. And in those things, there are going to be lots of kind of tricky things and complicated things. Well, how does that work for them and how does that work for them? My encouragement would be right at the start to settle the important thing that will be the beginning of wisdom for us, which is to stand back and say, okay, I still don't know where I land on that sort of stuff. Some of you might be, be saying that sort of thing. But I'd encourage you to s that we'd all, as if you're Christian here, if you're not a Christian, I'd encourage you to do this too. Settle at the start and say, well, okay then, for who I am, I want to put that back in God's hands. I want to say, God, you define me. You know who I am. You know who you've made to be, me to be, and you found a way to restore me in, in your blueprint. And I think as we do that, we can find wisdom in some very, very difficult issues that we're going to be approaching in this series.